Good morning again, Valley Bible Church. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn with me to the book of John. And uh, we're in John chapter 20, the story of the resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ for the first time to the first person. And uh, we are at this panel over here as we've been going through the story of the life of Christ. Um, that panel illustrates the, when he rose and there were soldiers present. Uh, that is not in our passage. By the way, I did read from one um, commentator that there is an old painting of Jesus where he's carrying a spade, a gardener's spade. And, uh, and as we'll re- see in the story, uh, Mary mistakes Jesus for a gardener, but that didn't really happen. He wasn't carrying a shovel around in the garden. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn with me to chapter 20. And would you stand as we read God's word, for this is the moment in which we know that he speaks to us. Um, Jesus prayed for us. He said to his father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And here is his word. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 10. So the disciples went away to their own homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Father in heaven, we, we praise you. We praise you in our souls for you have redeemed us. We thank you that your loving kindness is everlasting and that it endures forever. We praise you in the heavens and we praise you on the earth and we praise you for creation. We praise you for redemption. We praise you for all that you've given to us. And this morning we praise you for the life of Christ Given, yes, but come back to life for us. So we ask the ministry of your Holy Spirit this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture. Would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you change us? Because we know that that is the purpose of this endeavor this morning, that we would hear your words very clearly and that we would not walk away as those who do not see themselves clearly, but that we would be changed 
for the power of Christ in your spirit and the word of God that give, gives life to us this morning. For these things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. come to a high point in the in the book of John of course we came to the death of Christ which was the crux of not only the book of John and all the gospels and biblical history but the cross of Christ and his death for us is the, is the crux of all history it is that focal point everything else comes up to it and everything flows from it but it is incomplete in some sense without the resurrection of Christ because Christ has risen from the dead. And in the, the book of 1 Corinthians, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us what the gospel is. And he tells us, I de- declare to you the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he, ar- he rose from the dead according to the scriptures and appeared to all of these people. And Paul is making that case in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus has risen from the dead and that is part of the gospel message. The gospel message is not just Christ died for you, but he died for you and he rose from the dead. And he goes on to make the argument, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then then we're of all people most to be pitied because we are still in our sins. And it's all a sham. But he says in chapter 15, verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised from the dead. Therefore, his death means something. Because if he did not rise from the dead, his death was meaningless. All of the horror of the suffering, all that he went through, was all for naught. But he has risen from the dead, and so now it brings to us new life. We would have no redemption without resurrection And so he has risen. In the other Gospels, as I alluded to this, there are many other instances, a lot of stories. When you read uh, the story of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ through all the Gospels, there's a lot of material. And and it's not easy to put it all together and to try and put it in order. In in life groups this week, you might have an opportunity to read through some of those other uh, Gospel accounts of the resurrection of Christ and try and piece them together because there's an earthquake and there's soldiers and there's dazzling angels and there's a young man and there's more women and there's more disciples. But John's gospel is different. John's gospel, as we just read it, it is very, very simple. And what we're left with today is Mary Magdalene, two angels, and Jesus. That's, that's the main point of the story this morning. John focuses on Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene because, as it says in the book of Mark, he first appeared to Mary. She is the first one to see him alive of all the people. So the story is very simple, but you'll see as we we go through it, it's also very personal. This is a personal thing between Jesus and Mary, and for whatever reason he chose this woman to call her name, and to show her that he was alive. It's a very, very personal story. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very personal for each and every one of us. It should be personal. Because he didn't just 
die for the sins of the world and rise again from the dead, but he, but he did that for us. He did that for me. He did that for you, O believer. And it is very, very, very personal. But before we get to the appearance of Jesus to Mary, there is a deep sadness that persists in the story so far. And there's a darkness of grief that she is experiencing. In fact, we see the deep darkness of despair to begin with. Mary is in this deep darkness of the despair of grief in verses 10 through 13. She's in the throes of grief. As far as she knows, as much as she knows, he's dead still. And the empty tomb is no point of hope for her just yet. Verse 10 says, so the disciples went away again to their own homes. We saw the story last week. It begins with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. And she sees that the stone is rolled away. And so she runs back to tell Peter and John. And by some accounts, it could be as far away as two miles. And she tells them excitedly, the stone is rolled away. So Peter and John have a foot race. John wins. He's younger. So he wins the race. And he gets there, and he looks in, but when Peter comes, we, as we saw last week, he, he goes in, and they see the burial clothes all folded up. And they leave there, John having concluded by the testimony of, a, of a, an empty tomb in the Scriptures, he believes. Peter, we're not so sure about just yet. So they're gone. But Mary, says in verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. This poor lady, she runs a couple of miles and tells them breathlessly, stone has been rolled away, zip, they're off. You know, they gird up their loins like men and they're off and she's carrying whatever she is, you know, trying to go along. Probably by time they come out of the tomb, having concluded, John at least, that Jesus has risen, they leave and she's standing there and she's left again by herself. And she's weeping. And this is not a quiet sobbing. This is the same word that is used back when Lazarus died and people were weeping. It's a wailing of grief. Some of you have wailed in grief. Or you've hurt others. And she's weeping because she's outside. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. She didn't look into it the first time she came. But now she looks into it. She's heard that there's no body And she looks into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and one at the feet of where the body had been laid. I don't think she understands that they're angels just yet. Because we're going to see in a few minutes, she doesn't understand that it's even Jesus. There are different appearances of angels to the whole story. There are men in dazzling appearance, and, the, and some of the women, they fall down to, uh, in obeisance because they think that these are some divine angelic beings in which they are. In this case, men dressed in white clothing, obviously representing that they are the servants, the, the messengers of the Most High God, representing the, the holiness and the righteousness of heaven but I don't think that she understands just yet that they're angels. Oftentimes when angels appear, they just look like regular people. And in this case, when you put all the, the, 
the, um, the stories together, you see that they are spiritual beings who come and go in different manifestations in each of the stories in different ways. And God chooses at this point to reveal some element of truth to Mary Magdalene by these two angels and accentuating by sitting at the foot and the head of where the body was that there is no body there. And they ask her the question, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She was able to compose herself enough to speak through her tears. When they asked the question, Somebody has taken him away. They is unspecified, but it's obvious from from the wording that is very specific. They have taken away my Lord. It's the word kurios for Lord, and we'll say that now because we're going to come back to that, make a mental note. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Taken away and laid him, meaning she has no inkling that he got up and walked away by himself. Her only understanding at this point is someone took his dead body and I don't know where he is. Peter and John have left her standing there. Some people have asked, have, have said that when the angels ask this question of Mary that this is a rebuke. She should have known. She should have known that he was alive. I, I sometimes, when I read commentators like this, I, who are in ivory towers and they make theological statements, they, in this instance, they have either never experienced grief themselves or they fail to apply this common human experience to the situation. She is in the throes of grief. Her grief is cumulative. She knows he was arrested. He was led away. He went through the kangaroo trials. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was mocked. He was nailed to a tree. He died. They pierced his side. They took down his lifeless, bloody body. And she saw him put in a tomb. Mary has no idea Jesus is risen at this point, and I think it's excessive to assume that she should have known better. No. Many of you are acquainted with grief. Well acquainted. Jesus was acquainted with grief. I believe I am acquainted with grief over the years, the numbers of memorial services and funerals that I've done, and for my own family members, even since we have been here, My mother died, my brother died, my sister died, and others. And those of you who have been through grief and are acquainted, the sun doesn't shine, everything is gray. You ask the question over and over again, you play it in your mind, why did it have to happen? Oh God, why, why not? If I'd only called, if they'd only gone to the right doctor at the right time, What if this, what if that, maybe they would not have died? And the days of grief are horrible and dark and numbing. And some of you know it. So therefore, you know, can you imagine going to the funeral home three days later 
to finish up the preparation for a funeral. And they say, we don't know what happened, but the body is gone. Can you imagine this last indignity that she thought that maybe the, the, the religious leaders had stolen the body because it was defiling a, a, a good grave and they, were, they took it and threw it into the, the valley of Gehenna, the burning pit of refuse where the other criminals were? Can you imagine? This is where she is. When someone dies, you cannot even believe it. But then that their body is gone, gone? Divinely baked into grief and death is the idea of closure, I guess you might say. That's why we have funerals and memorial services. It's an opportunity for us to see the body. People who who lose a loved one, they want to see that person at some point. They want to touch them. It's unfinished business to, to, to just go and along with grief. And some people never have that opportunity because the body is lost at sea or whatever may happen. And they're left the rest of their life without that closure of grief. And so the question, why are you weeping? It's not a rebuke. But it is a leading. It is leading her somewhere. Just as... He does with all of our grief. All of the questions that we have. He's leading us. He's coaxing us somewhere. And there is an answer to the question, why are you weeping? And there is an answer to the cause of the weeping as well. Let me ask you a question. Why do you weep? Maybe you say, well, I'm not weeping. Mary weeps because of grief that her loved one has died. But grief is not just sadness over the death of someone who has died. Grief is a life-shattering loss of many, many things. It can be be the loss of many, many things. And all of us have some level of grief in our lives that in the quietness of our life, there are things that grieve us because they're lost and we cannot reclaim them and never get them back because we live in a broken world. Why do you grieve? Why do you weep? Over what? What have you lost? What are you losing right now? And is there an answer? Not just to the question, why do you weep, but the cause of why you weep. What is the answer? For some of you, you lost a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a son or a daughter or a baby, a cousin, a niece, a nephew, a lifelong friend, or maybe most of those. And if you have not yet, you will. You will. But there are other things we lose too, and maybe for some of you, maybe you're losing your youth. Maybe you're losing your health, your eyesight, your memory, focus of your joints, your mobility, Maybe there is loss of a, of a relationship through divorce with the person who you thought was the love of your life and you lost your family over it. The loss of closeness 
that you once had with your children that you believed, trusted Christ as Savior in vacation Bible school and now have walked away from Christ. Loss of control over circumstances. There's some calamity in your life that is just uh, dominating every waking moment and it's completely beyond your control and you're wondering what has happened. Loss of your country. Many of us feel this. What happened to my country? We're losing freedoms. COVID, what is, are we going to get over this? Probably not ever. We may never go back to the way it was. The familiarity Things have changed. Some of you may have been or losing your livelihood. For some of you, you've just lost purpose in life. You're tired. You don't know why, but that's where you are. You've lost your way. You've lost your faith. You just can't put a finger on it. Some of you may have moved here recently and it didn't meet your expectations. You thought things would have been better, different. We all have expectations about life, and most of them are unmet. Loss of joy. The child that never came, the cancer is not healed. For all that sin robs us, right? Because all of those things are due to the brokenness of this world that we must live in. And so when Mary is asked the question, why are you weeping? It's because of grief. And grief is something that we all feel. We all have some loss of life. So, Isaiah 53.4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And surely he has borne our griefs and our sorrows. Okay? All of those things that we mentioned, he bore the cause of that to the cross. That is the answer to why we weep. And that is the answer for the cause of it, which is sin. All those things caused by sin and cured by the cross. He bore them on the cross. But for Mary at this moment, he's still dead. That's all she knows. We, we know the rest of the story. And so, yes, we can pause to grieve with her and understand why she is grieving. But we know that he has borne our griefs and all of our sorrows. She's in despair for all that is unanswered still for her. It is answered for us. And the question, why are you weeping, is leading to an answer. So just as with the dawn, in my living room, sometimes the, the, the sun in the morning comes and just shines on a certain spot, but it's not up yet. You can see the visible light coming before the sun is fully risen. And so there is a dawning that is happening here as well. She does not yet have the truth that he's alive, but it's coming. And so we see this deep darkness of despair, but in the next few verses, the veiled purpose of providence. There is purpose. This is not just happening, a happenstance. There is purpose. It's providential that she is there at this moment. It's providential that she's there alone. It's providential that these two angels have asked her this question. And Jesus is coaxing her to believe in his resurrection. 
Verse 14, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and didn't know that it was Jesus. We don't know why she turned. Maybe something out of her peripheral vision, she saw him. Maybe she heard some rustling behind her. Maybe, as often happens to us, we might be standing somewhere and we just sense that someone's behind us. But she turns around and she sees Jesus. No, make no mistake, she sees Jesus but she does not recognize him. She does not know that it is Jesus. Why is that? Could be that her eyes are blurry with tears. I I, I don't think so. It could be both. That and this. It is veiled to her. Jesus has a purpose in veiling that. It's just like the... The, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas, and the other one, they're walking along, and all of a sudden Jesus appears, and they're just, oh, what happened in Jerusalem the last few days? And they're telling the story. And it says that he was not revealing himself to them. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So they get to their destination, and they sit down to have some food, and he takes the bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, And in the breaking of the bread, their eyes are opened and he vanishes from their sight. And they said, I knew that was him. I just had this feeling, this burning in my soul that that was him. Because he had preached the gospel to them from from Moses to the prophets. We also see this instance, but we also see in chapter 21 when he appears to, to the disciples of Galilee and they're fishing. And it says... He was preventing them from understanding that it was him. So Jesus is veiling his identity to her at this very moment. And he speaks to her first. And with the same question that that the angels asked, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? But then he adds a second question, Whom are you seeking? What are you crying about? And who are you looking for? He's pulling her along. He's drawing out her understanding and her faith. It's causing her to think, coaxing her to believe, and she's forced to struggle with the situation. And once again, she has to describe, she's forced to describe her grief and her distress. Supposing him to be the gardener, She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Once again, we see very clearly that she does not have any understanding that he has walked away of his own accord. They carried him away. They laid him here. I will take him away. She assumes that he is still dead because the last time she saw him, he was buried in the tomb. Where else would he be? And this makes sense to her that this might be the gardener. This is, she sees this guy. He's not carrying a shovel, I don't think. But anyway, um, this is his domain. This is his stewardship. The gardener knows everything garden. This is his dominion. And if anyone would know what has happened to the body of Jesus, it would be the gardener. Who else would it be? But I want you to notice a couple of ironies here. 
She supposes him to be the gardener, and she says, Sir, if you have taken away my Lord, taken him away. The word sir is a polite address, but it is the word kurios. It's the same word that she used when she said, They have taken away my Lord, kurios. And since she she approaches or she addresses Jesus, she thinks he's the gardener, and the word kurios is just a, a, a polite greeting, uh, an address uh, of respect, kind of like senor in, 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 in Spanish. And she calls him curious, not as the Lord of all, but as just sir, mister. It's a polite address. But the irony is that she is addressing him as Lord. And she doesn't even know that he is him, that he is the Lord. Second irony is that she supposes him to be a gardener. The first Adam was in a garden, wasn't he? And he had dominion over the garden. He had stewardship of the garden and he failed. And he was kicked out of the garden and and humans were kicked out of the garden. The second Adam has now conquered the curse of the garden. He has been placed in a tomb, but he has conquered the tomb and death and all that it means. The last Adam restores all things and makes them new. And the irony is that she doesn't even understand. So, God often reveals himself and his truth to us in stages. Have you ever noticed that? We don't always notice things right away. We don't learn biblical truth right away. We are often forced to struggle to understand what God is doing because sometimes what God is doing is unfathomable. It is too great. It's in the realm of experience we have not yet experienced And in this case, Mary is reacting like anyone else would. But we are meant to struggle, and he uses many things to pull out our faith. He uses trials. He uses grief. He uses the Word. He uses other people. He uses his Spirit. But all of these are to coax out and to bring us along in our understanding. But he does it in stages, and you've noticed that, and don't be surprised if you struggle sometimes. I just don't get the hard sayings of this passage. He wants you to trust in what he says. Secondly, even when we don't recognize him, he is still and always there and always working. Sometimes it seems like his face is right there, Sometimes we recognize him in everything. Sometimes we hear his voice. Sometimes we are dry. Sometimes he is distant and we just don't recognize what he's doing. But the promise of Scripture throughout is that he is always there. He is always working and he is always doing that on your behalf. Always. Always. We may not recognize his face. We may not recognize his voice, but he's there. So, in verses 16 through 18, we see this personal power of the resurrection. It's personal, it's powerful, and it is all about the resurrection. And this is the moment that Jesus reveals himself to Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
in the scene, we, we have John describing it, but in the, in the scene, it's just two words. Mary, Rabboni. That's it in the scene. That's how it happened. Two words, two names, meet. Whereas before, he had called her woman, just the generic idea of woman, and she had called him sir, just a polite address. He now calls her by her name, and she now calls him by the name with which she always called him, which was the Hebrew Rabboni, my teacher. Jesus doesn't often do that, call people by their names, their given name. Simon in chapter 1, Simon Peter. Lazarus, when he was called forth from the grave, in chapter 21 we'll see Simon Peter again. Jesus will speak to him and address him by his name. But this is unique. The very first person that ever sees Jesus alive, he calls her by her name, Mary. And she's overjoyed. This is a beautiful moment of recognition that demonstrates the personal nature of faith. It's very personal. And it shakes her from her grief in an instant into a new reality that will, she'll never be the same. And those of you who have lost loved ones, you can only imagine if that person who died three days later, you find out they're alive what a change that would be. What a joy that would be. Imagine your loved one who had died is now alive, and that is what she experiences at this moment. When he calls your name, you have ears to hear and eyes to see. When he calls your name. John 10:27 My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He knows your name like Ben said earlier and he calls your name. It is an effectual calling to salvation when he calls you. And you know what? When your ears are open and your eyes are open, you know his voice. And you know that he has called you. When he calls you out through his word and by his spirit, you will know it. And when he calls your name, everything changes. Everything. All the past griefs, everything that goes on in this world, all that you've struggled with, everything changes when he calls your name. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. When he calls your name and makes you new, you are new. The old is gone. Everything changes. His resurrection gives you new life. He gives you life where you were dead. And the fact that Jesus is alive changes everything. In Ephesians that describes us being dead in sin. But it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then it gets better. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for his glory alone, the fifth sola of the Reformation. For his glory alone. He saves us by grace. And just as he was raised from the dead, so he raises us spiritually and he seats us with him in the heavenly places and one day he will call our name from the grave and we will rise because he is alive. Because of this meeting of Mary in Jesus that was so familiar, so intimate, a relationship that is unique to the two of them only is extended to us as well by faith. And then she clings to him. Jesus says, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go tell my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. He's not done yet. Yes, he'd accomplished uh, redemption, but this is a package deal. Remember in chapter 17, he prayed about returning to the glory of the Father that he had before the world was. In chapter 13, before the Feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had not yet come, that he would depart from this world and go to the Father. He'd been saying that all along. I'm returning to the Father. He has not yet done that. He is risen and Mary thinks, oh, he's back to life. We can resume our relationship. Let's go back to Galilee and we'll regroup, right? No. Things are, have changed. She cannot have the same relationship with Jesus on earth that she had before. It gets better. Because when he goes to the Father, he will send the Spirit, and it will be Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Christ in her, the hope of glory. It gets better that he will send his Spirit, and he will live with her, and in her, and among her. There is a greater fellowship for Mary that is yet to come that we enjoy today. So he says, go tell my brethren. This is the first time he, he refers to the disciples as brethren. They've been referred to all throughout as disciples, disciples. And now they're called brothers. Go tell my brothers. The message to the brethren is more specific because he had said very specific things to them. I'm going back to the Father. You see, he is the son by nature. They are now sons by adoption, and so are we. He makes us part of his family. We're adopted as sons, whereas we were estranged, we were enemies. We were separated from him. We were dead, and he raises us. And he is the son of God by nature, and we become sons of God by adoption. We are the brethren, the family, the assembly of the firstborn. We are the church. Hebrews 2.11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He calls us brothers now. 
because we've been sanctified by the Son. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he has said all these things to her. The main thing that she, the main message is, I saw him, I saw him alive. They had not seen him yet, but he had appeared to her. And so she comes and she says, I have seen the Lord Kurios, her Lord, and he is risen. So in conclusion, why Mary and why me? By me, I mean asking that of yourself. Why Mary? Why me? Mark 16, 9 says, He first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Ponder that for a moment. What was her life like? What is the life of a woman who has seven demons like? What might she have done? What sins might she have committed? What horrors, what depravity, what immoralities? What things had she done? See, it's not just that she was a woman, but what kind of woman she had been. Why would God choose a woman with a past, damaged goods, to be the first one that he would reveal himself to. We are damaged goods. Some of you know what I'm talking about. In your past, maybe you feel that even more acutely that, yeah. But all of us are damaged goods before a holy God, whether you grew up and accepted Christ and VBS and you've been a good boy or a good girl your whole life, praise God for that. Still, all we like sheep have gone astray. And sin is a horror to God. It's an offense against a holy God, but taken care of through Christ. She's not just a woman, but a woman who has been damaged. And what might have been going through her mind through this moment of grief Was it all an illusion? Was his love real? Have I really been changed? Why do you weep? Why do you grieve? Because it's all gone wrong. And what is the answer to the weeping? What is the final answer to all that is broken? He is the Lord of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the revealer of truth to us. He calls our name and personally reveals himself to each and every one of us. His call is unmistakable. And he is our only access to the Father because he is the one mediator between God and men. He reveals himself to us as all-sufficient, forgiver, divine Lord, source of life, our brother, our friend, our God, our Savior. He is our life. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. He is your life. If sin and death are conquered, there's nothing else to be conquered. Nothing else to be conquered. 
And every brokenness, every grief that you've ever felt or felt or feel this morning, it is conquered by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything you still grieve is carried by the cross and resolved in the resurrection. He makes all things new. So, we all grieve because of the brokenness of sin. God gently and surely He leads us to truth. The risen Christ personally resolves every brokenness of our sin. Cling to him. Cling to him. Because he is the final answer. Father, thank you for the story of the resurrection Because we see Mary, we see ourselves in her. We thank you for such unbounding grace and love that you would share with us eternal life. May we live our lives with great joy and and leave here this morning with the same joy that Mary had, that our loved one is alive. May we cling to him for the rest of our lives until he returns and calls our name once again. Amen.